we, our mouth starts to salivate. We start to start to get a watery mouth, a, a, a stomach. Right now, when I talk about the, the green chili ranch and, and the Dion's ranch and the pizza, some of you guys are like, hurry up and finish, preacher man, because I got an appointment at Dion's coming up right now. And, and so we've, we've got these hunger things that we, we get inside of us. And so we're going to look at this passage in, in Matthew chapter 5. See, Matthew chapter 5 is, is the start of the Sermon on the Mount. And the first 10 verses are called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. And, and, and it's the blessed are section of verses. And you'll find this all through Scripture. When you see that um, Jesus or anybody in the Bible repeats a word over and over in a passage, they're trying to give it emphasis. And so when you read through this, you're going to see that there's nine times that Jesus says, blessed. And so this is interesting. So, so we're going to go right to Matthew chapter 5. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So he's, he's actually teaching the disciples. He just, these guys are already believers in Christ. He, he's got those guys that are gathered around him. And he says, he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But if you go back, is it verse number 6? It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they shall be satisfied. So my question to you this morning is, what are you hungry for? Are you hungry and thirsting for righteousness? Or are you hungry and thirsty for Dion's? Here's what I know is that when you get a hunger craving and you go to some place like a Dion's, you eat it and it's wonderful and you're satisfied for a time. When, when you're hunger and thirsting for something that's not Christ, it satisfies you for a moment, but that moment will pass. You see, Jesus, even Jesus said, hey, I am the living water. If you drink from me, you will thirst no more. He wasn't talking about physical thirst. He was talking about an internal thirst that people, uh, that everybody is born with. You're born with a hunger looking for God. There's part of you that's searching for the significance that God brings into your life. And so I ask you today, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? And so we can look at this and say, well, personally, I can talk about this, but this morning, what is your family hungry for? We talk about family values. Your family should have a driving hunger inside of it. It's a value that every family has. And if you don't know what the value is, if you don't know what your family is hungry for, I want to challenge you and say that it's hungry for something. You just haven't defined it. You just haven't defined it. And we have families in our country that are having some challenges. I know your family doesn't. Nobody's here, nobody's family here has any sort of challenge whatsoever. But let's talk about all those other people that aren't here. You should bring them next week because they need to hear this, right? And so the, 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 everybody's family, and some people's family has some issues sometimes, right? They have a little bit of struggle. Families in America, 
in our country, and even in our city, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, our families have too much debt. Our families are struggling with finances from time to time. There's a tension within the family because they're trying to understand how the money's going to stretch from the 1st to the 15th and the 15th to the 30th. Part of that is because the values aren't quite lined up to the way that God tells you the values to be lined up. When you line up your values with God's values, some of the tension in life will start to ease and start to back off. You see, we have all kinds of families that struggle. We have families that struggle with with family dynamics between brothers and sisters and and between aunts and and, and uncles and and cousins and nephews and and moms and dads and stepmoms and stepdads and stepbrothers. The family dynamic has changed radically in our landscape of our country over the last 50 years. The blended families that come together today add another layer of complexity that people have to deal with. People are dealing with this. You may be dealing with this. This is something that, that is happening all over the place. In this series, we're going to use Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to pick some of these values out and talk about how if you apply these values into your home, you can live a, a life that is blessed. Now, i got to say that in our country and in our culture, people think the word blessed equals Lamborghinis and Ferraris. It, it equals huge mansions and, and lake houses. People think blessed equals some sort of a material, tangible thing. That they think that it equals something like that. Listen, when God is talking about blessed, he's not talking about your bank account. He's not talking about your finances. He's not saying, well, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's going to add another zero to the balance of your bank account. That is not what he is talking about. In fact, when you look at this word blessed, it's not a financial implication at all. In fact, its primary focus here, when you go look at the, at the word blessed and the way they're using it in the scripture right here, is that it is one who is in right relationship with God. It is one who has Christ in him or with him. That, that was the primary focus of the word blessed in this passage. And so today we're going to talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but we're going to talk about being pure in heart. How many of you guys know being pure in heart can be a challenge sometimes? It can be a challenge sometimes. You know, peacemakers versus peace takers. Sometimes we have people in our life that are taking the peace from us, but can we be a people that are making peace in our families? And sometimes we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Sometimes we are pursuing the things of God, and people will make fun of you. People will ridicule you. People will look at you funny and say, huh, that's kind of strange. You live differently. So as we look into this verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be filled. They shall be satisfied, depending on which translation you are looking at. What is your home filled with? What is your life filled with? You see, you can look and say, well, what my life is filled with is probably what I'm hungering and thirsting for. Are we we being filled with, with screen time? Something we call in our house where we have a screen in front of our face, whether it's the big one on the wall or, or the small one that's in our pocket. There's a, there's a competition for screen time inside of our families, right? It's funny, I, I, Amber and I were going out on a date, and, and in fact, we were out on a date last night, and uh, right next to us was a couple, and uh, they, they were 
not even talking to each other. They were on a date, but they each had their phones up, and they were together in silence at the restaurant on a date. The little screen was dominating what was happening in the moment. Now, we've all seen this happen around us, and maybe for you, you've struggled with it, and you've seen it happen in your own life. You know, in my, my family at home right now, with, with my wife and two little kids, we made a family rule that there are no screens at the table. And we eat dinner together and at, at, at night. We eat dinner at the family dining room table, and there are no screens at the table because, because guess what? We're going to have some FaceTime more than some screen time. There are things that, that are wanting to fill our attention. There are things that are wanting to, to take what we do. See, what you fill your life with is what you end up being hungry for. What you fill your life with is what you end up being hungry for. There was a period in time where I had gained quite a bit of weight, and I went intentionally thought, I'm going to try to lose some of the weight that I had gained. I had, I've, I'm now, it was 50 pounds heavier than I am now. And in there, I changed my diet radically. In fact, I cut out soda altogether. I cut out Coke and Pepsi and all the soda products entirely. In fact, I, I determined in my, in my weight loss challenge, I determined that I was not going to drink any calories. So, so no sodas, no teas, no, no anything. Coffee has um, almost no calories. I, I, I told myself the lies you tell yourself. The, the lie I told myself was that the caffeine burned off the extra calories from the cream. Can I get an amen? That's right. And so I, I thought, okay, I can do the coffee. I'm not cutting coffee, right? So the caffeine burns the calories from the cream. I'm good. I did the math. I put it into the Google and did the math. And so I, so I determined not to drink any calories. And so for a year, I didn't drink any calories. It's amazing. That alone helped me so much. But, but then I, I actually went back and, and grabbed a soda and drank it for the first time in a year. It was disgusting. Has anybody ever done that? You cut something out forever and you come back to it. It was so sweet, I couldn't even drink it. I took one sip and I was like, ugh, this is nasty. Like, why do people drink this? I had starved myself from the soda to the place where when I finally went back to it, it didn't taste very good to me. Listen, what you fill yourself with is what you become hungry for. What you fill yourself with, you become hungry for. Of course, now I drink soda all the time. Don't judge me. I built a tolerance back up again, you know. (laughs) <laughs> so we have things that, that want to fill us. You see, in this equation, if you were to call it that, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You see, God's role is bringing the satisfaction. God's role is bringing the satisfaction. Our role is hungering and thirsting for him. God's role is he fills us. Our role is, is, is the hungering and thirsting. Now, now, I know what you're saying. I, there's some of you in the room that might even be saying this in your head right now, that, that well, yeah, but, but grace, right? But grace. But isn't, doesn't God give grace for free? He absolutely does. God gives grace. See, our relationship with God is not earned. We don't earn a relationship with God. You see, salvation is a gift. But you see, when you are in relationship with someone, there's a give and a take that happens in relationship. You see, seeking righteousness and seeking God is, is you reaching out to God to build a stronger relationship with him. That's what the hunger and the, and the thirsting for righteousness is. is. Is that right there? It's the building the relationship with God. You see, you can believe in God. You can put your faith in Christ. And you can, you can declare all these things. But if you don't ever 
seek after God, you're not going to be filled. You're not going to be satisfied. You can put your faith in Christ and then walk away. You can put your faith in Christ and keep him at a distance. You, you can do these things. And are you saved? Yes, you're saved. But you're not in relationship with God. Being in relationship with God is what this is talking about. So, in your home, what do you hunger for? What, what gets your time and your energy? And I know every parent in the room is saying, oh, I know. We, we hunger and thirst for family time. We, we hunger and thirst for this and that. So I'm going to ask you this. What would your kids say you hunger and thirst for in your home? What would your kids say that your time and your energy goes into? What would your kids say? Because your kids tend to be a little more honest, aren't they? Like, like what, would that, what would that look like in your home? What, what, what is actually getting your attention? I've got to be honest, there's days where I probably spend more time spying on all you guys on Facebook than, don't, ju- you, don't judge me, you know, you know. You guys do it too, yeah. No, Facebook stalking, you like scroll through the feed, you don't ever do anything, you just look through, and then you stop and you say, tell your wife or your spouse, hey, did you see what so-and-so did? Oh, yeah, that was pretty cool, you know? And then, see that vacation Jurgen went on? That was amazing, you know? And, and I, I don't think I liked any of his photos, but, but you know, I'm, I talked about it the whole time he was gone, right? So, but we have Facebook stalking some people. But do you, I spend, I, I, there are days I spend more time Facebook stalking people and scrolling through my social media feed than I do praying and reading the Bible. So what got my time and energy that day? I filled myself with social media postings and feeds that I really don't care about. I mean, it was cool. Don't get me wrong. Your vacation was awesome. But, but you know what I mean? Like, like eternally, that, that was fun for a moment, but it didn't fill me. It didn't satisfy me. It didn't, it didn't have any sort of like long-lasting impact in my life. What is your time and your energy going towards? It's a question that you need to ask yourself. And only you can answer it. Maybe your kids. But only you can answer it. You see, when what we feed ourselves changes our appetite. When I stopped feeding myself soda, it changed my appetite towards sweet things. When I cut sugar out of my life, all of a sudden, I would go to a restaurant and eat things, and they would taste sweet. I'm like, is there sugar in this chicken? This is crazy. There probably is, because they know what they're doing. You know what I mean? You cut salt out of your food, and you go to a restaurant, and everything is just coated in salt. You're like, what is a salt and sugar loaded on everything, right? And, and you start cutting this food, all of a sudden you realize what you've been conditioned to through life and what you're eating. Listen, I'm telling you, we've been conditioned to some things, and we got to get honest with ourselves and honest with God and say, God, am I really hungering and thirsting after you? Am I really filling my life with you, or am I filling my life with these other things? God, I want my time and my energy to be on you. My, I want my time and my energy to be on you. You've got to change your appetite. If you change your diet, you will change your appetite. If you start cutting the junk food of this world and replace it with the healthy spiritual food, your cravings will actually change. So I've learned a few things. I've learned what doesn't work. Have you guys tried this yet? You try something like, oh, I'm going to work on my relationship with God. But you see, the first thing that, that doesn't work is, is something called legalism. You see, legalism is when you put the rules in place and you basically break down your relationship with God into a formula. If I do A plus B plus C, then that would equal D. That means that if I do one, two, and three, God's going to do number 
four, and it turns into like a song and a dance of like all these different rules. And if I can jump through the right hoops and do the right things, if I can check my checklist off, if I do exactly 5.7 minutes of prayer and 3.2 minutes of Bible reading, then God will bless my day and I'm going to hit a bonus this month at work. No, that's not exact. That's not how this thing works at all. But sometimes legalism can get to a place where if you don't do the rules exactly the right way, it turns into this thing where I am now performing to try to get approval from God. But you see, God loves you and approves you right where you're at. There's nothing you can do that earns his favor. He already loves you. He can't love you any more than he currently loves you. It doesn't matter how high you go or how low you go. He can't love you anymore. His love is huge. His love is eternal. His love is the same and consistent. The legalism and the rules won't change God's love for you. All the do's and the don'ts. I tell you what, it doesn't work. In fact, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. If you put so many rules on your kids at home that they have to do X, Y, and Z, and they're constantly jumping from hoop to hoop to hoop, filling out the checkbox that you've got laid out to them, but there's no relationship attached to it at all. Your kids aren't going to like you very much. It'll ultimately lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship will lead to rebellion. Now, I, I don't feel like anybody in our church is struggling with this legalism thing. In fact, I would say the church as a whole in the United States, overall, there is a segment that might deal with legalism, but this next one is the one that I feel like most Christians deal with, is this one, is that lukewarm Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity. This is one that that I think is is what's gripping the church and gripping our country and, and maybe even has crept into your home just a little bit because it's something that we have to fight off all the time. You see, we believe in God, right? Oh, yeah, we believe in God, but we live as if he doesn't exist. Lukewarm is believing in God, but living as if he doesn't exist. If I can tell you the, if I can't tell you the last time that we prayed with my family, I might be allowing my family to be lukewarm. When was the last time you prayed with your family? I mean, let's get honest. Oh, we pray for the meal at dinner. Okay, that's great, but that's kind of a little bit of a ritual. When was the last time you actually prayed for somebody's needs or prayed for your relationship with God with your family? Have you talked with your kids about what's happening at school with their friends? And then together as a family, can you pray about that? Because if you're not actively engaging in prayer with your family, you may be drifting into lukewarm territory. When was the last time you shared your spiritual growth with your family? Has God done something in your heart and in your life? Is he doing something and transforming something inside of you right now, and you're not sharing it even with your spouse or your kids or your mom or your dad or your brothers and your sisters? Because if you're not sharing what God's doing in your life, you may be slipping into a lukewarm. And do you have a moral compass that you will remove your family from morally questionable situations? It happens to the best of us. We start a TV show thinking that it's going to be just fine. And partway through, all of a sudden, it's not just fine. And you know it, 
and they know it, and everybody knows it. So what do you do as a parent? What do you do? Like, do you just watch it anyway? Or do you turn it off and say, wait a minute, no, this isn't right. It's so easy to, to, to put ourselves in situations where all of a sudden we go in with the great intentions. We start a movie, maybe even pay for it. And God knows that the price of movies these days, that ain't cheap. But are you willing to walk out of the movie with your family because it crossed a line that you know you shouldn't be watching or exposing your family to? Are you willing to do that personally? Are you, have you done that with your family? Listen, if you're willing to walk through morally questionable situations without any sort of check or compass inside, you may be slipping into a lukewarm Christianity where I believe in God, but I'm living as if he doesn't exist. In fact, what Jesus said in Revelation was that I'd rather have you be hot or cold. And he says, if you're lukewarm, I spit you out of my mouth. It's a little more graphic than that. It's, it's more of a vomiting out of my mouth. It's not just a little, it's a little more of a heave, you know what I'm saying? Like a kind of heave, you know? Like he, he just heaves you out. That's right, some projectile puke someone just said. That's, that's, that's a, I don't know if it's projectile. I didn't do all that. But yeah, it's a, definitely a heaving of some sort. You see, we don't earn the blessing of God by hungering and thirsting for righteousness. See, here's the thing that sometimes people will read this section of the verses, this section of Scripture, and think, oh, well, if I want blessing, then I'm going to go and hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then I'm going to be filled. But, but, but I want to say is this, is based on the, the blessing, you are blessed. Because if you have Christ living in you today— then you are blessed. The blessing that this is referring to in this passage, it would, would be that Christ is, is with you, that you have clear relationship with God. And so I, I would challenge you today to say that, that if you are living with Christ in your life today, you are blessed. And because you are blessed, you want to thirst and hunger for righteousness. And because you are blessed, you do these things. You see, the blessing is actually something that comes by faith. It's not something that you can earn. The relationship with Christ is something that comes by faith. It's not something you can earn. You can't do this to get Christ in your life. But because Christ is in your life, now all of a sudden you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. It's very important that you kind of pick that up. You see, we're made righteous by faith alone. Because we are blessed, we can be filled. Because Christ has been, is in us, we can be filled. Back in Philippians 3, it says this, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, which means this. You are blessed, so God has filled you, has put something in you to give you an appetite for hungering and thirsting for righteousness. How do you know that you have a hunger and a thirst for a soda? You've had it before. How do you know that you have a hunger and a thirst for the Dion's pizza? You've had it before. How do I know I want that green chili ranch so bad? I don't know. I've had the other products. It's got to be good, right? There's some hype there. I'm not sure. But I'm saying you've had it before. When you step into a relationship with Christ, you are blessed. He brings that, that, that satisfaction, that filling to you, and it creates a hunger and a thirst inside of you to be able to pursue God even more. Can you lead your family into that place? 
Can you make a family value that you're going to be in that place? So we've talked about what doesn't work. But here's what does work. Here's what does work is this. You see, we are not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. The value that you need, you just pull out a pen and write that one down. <laughs> because that this is the value that you need to instill into your family. When you break it down as this, we are not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. We are a Christ-centered home. See, a Christ-centered home looks different than just we're a Christian family. You see, a Christian family is, is, says that God is part of our home. A Christ-centered family says that Christ is the center of it. Listen, we can take this Christian walk and this walk with Christ, and we can break it down to make God just part of it, right? We can say, okay, well, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to spend an hour and a half, you know, singing some songs, listening to a preacher, shake a few hands, put my church face on. You know, I can do that, and then now Christ is part of my home. But if Christ is the center of your home, well, then he invades every aspect of what's going on inside of your house. It's not just an hour a week. In fact, you can pretend to be passionate about Christ for an hour and a half a week, right? You can show up at church and you can get encouraged, and I want you to get encouraged. But today, my hope is that you would not just have Christ as part of your house, but he would be the center of your home. He would move from the garage into the living room. He would move from where you park your car and you use it occasionally into the kitchen where the hub of your activity of your house is. Like, that's, that's the difference there. You know, some of us can act like Christ is the center of our home, but we're, or we can act like we're Christians for a little while. Sometimes we go to church and say, oh, I'm a Christian. You know, coming to church doesn't really make Christ the center of your home. You can come to church and make church noise. You know what I'm saying. Throw down some claps and some praises. Maybe slip a hand up during worship if you're feeling a little, you know, crazy this week. You know? You, can, you know what I mean? You can make some church actions and some church noise. You can stand in your garage and make car sounds. But it doesn't make you a car. Listen, there's a, there's a difference in, in, in your actions for an hour a week than it does making Christ the center of your, of your home. Don't just make yourself a Christian home, but make yourself a Christ-centered home. In Psalms chapter 63, it says, You, God, are my God, and earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. That's the cry of the psalmist's heart. You know, we can actually convert this. In fact, let, let, let's convert this to your family. Can we do that? Don't throw stones, please. Okay, you, God, are our God. Earnestly, we seek you. We thirst for you. My whole family longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Are we earnestly seeking God as a family? Are we earnestly seeking God with what we're doing, with our time and our action? But back to what your kids say you is important in your life. Like, we wouldn't actually say this, but are we chasing, I don't know, popularity? Are we chasing the bigger car or the nicer house? Or, or are, we, are we chasing 
Instagram likes and I mean, like, what's the, what's the time getting invested into, right? Like, like, what is it that we actually hunger and thirst for? Oh, 3.3 inch screen of my iPhone mini. You are my God and earnestly I seek for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land, I want the iPhone. Oh, likes and followers on Instagram. You are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for the extra hearts. I log in, log into my account constantly to see how much activity there is. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But what is it that we're hungering and we're thirsting for? It's stupid, but some people actually behave this way. Some people actually live this way. Here's the thing. As parents and as, as leaders and as adults and, and as, as somebody who is in charge of your household, who is part of a household, you are part of a household, even if you're by yourself, you are part of a household. In fact, single people, you may be with somebody one day. You might get married and have kids. You know, So, so this is something that you should start instilling even now that, that, of where you're at. Here's our goal. You see, our, our goal is this, is that we want to help our families see God as loving and approachable and involved. Loving and approachable and involved. Hmm. When my kids get sick, they ask me to pray for them now. Personally, I'm like, man, that's a huge win, right? As a parent, I'm like, they don't, they don't just say, give me some Advil. You know, they, 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 hey, dad, will you pray for me? My, my stomach, my stomach hurts, my, my owies. You know, you know why? My, my daughter had a headache and she, I carried her back to bed last night. She wasn't feeling well. I put her in bed and she says, will you pray for me? And I prayed for her. You know why? Because when she was this tall, we prayed for every little scratch and owie that ever happened in her life. Little itty bitty, like she, we couldn't even see it. She wants a prayer and a band-aid. You know, stat. And, and, and it's like, she, you know, you can't even see the thing, but we started, we started praying at that young age. Listen, when you start praying for the small things, you, you start to pray for a little bit bigger things and a little bit bigger things and a little bit bigger things. My goal is that I want my kids to be able to see God as a loving, approachable, and involved in our life. He's not distant. He's not in the garage where we live in the kitchen. He's here with us, and he's the center of our home. You should create an environment where your kids want to have discussions about God. So it's not something they feel like they have to do, but something that your kids want to do. Hmm. After years of involving God in all that we do, in my family, I start to see little glimpses of, of a hunger and a thirst for God that's starting to be cultivated inside of my own children. Now, don't kid yourself. We're not a perfect family. There are times where the screens do dominate the time and they shouldn't. There are times where other things happen. But it start to, it's cool to start to see glimpses happening inside of our family. Start to help to cultivate that hunger and that thirst inside of your family. If the band would come, we're going to wrap up right now. So here's the thing. There's three ways that you can help create this culture and help create this hunger inside of your family inside of your family dynamic. Number one is this. Involve God in your daily conversations. 
involve God. You can be driving down the road, and you can see the sunset. And I tell you, every day around here, the sunset is phenomenal, isn't it? It's wonderful. And so you can look every day, and you can see a stunning sunset in the evenings. You'd be driving down the road with your kids, and you could look out the window and say, wow, that's an amazing sunset, isn't it? And they're going to say, yeah, that's beautiful, Dad. That's an amazing sunset, right? Or I could say, look at the sunset. Isn't God awesome? Look how creative God is to be able to set this thing into place where we get stunning sunsets almost every day around here. God has truly blessed our city and our family because, I mean, look at this view. Not many people get this. All of a sudden, you can take the same sunset and start to explain, proclaim, (laughs) proclaim how good God is, how creative he is. Is God the center of your discussions? I tell my kids all the time, we're blessed. Look at this amazing house God has us in. I mean, look at, I mean, we have cars that we turn the key and it starts. I mean, we have cars, you know, like if you really like, what has God provided for your family? And are you, are you saying, look, I've worked hard, so this is what I've got. Are you saying, you know what? God's blessed us. God has blessed me with the ability to work this hard. God's blessed me with this and that and the other. Listen, you need to make God part of your daily conversations. God, look how, look how great of friendships God's provided for you. Look, Look how great God is. I know you wanted this teacher. This is a conversation we had this year. I know you wanted this teacher, but God actually put you in this, yeah, put in this class over here with this other teacher. I think God knew that you needed this other teacher more. Okay. Yeah, I can trust God that, that he's in control. Yeah, God is part of our daily conversations and our daily lives. Number two is, is this, make church non-negotiable. You see, if you are a Christ-centered home, you make the worship of your God a non-negotiable. My kids are excited for Sundays. I say, hey, it's Sunday. We're going to church. It's church day. And then they get up and they're excited about it. They get to see some friends. They get to sing some songs. They, they, they love the classes here. You know, they, they actually love church. This morning, I didn't get to wake them up because they got up. I don't know if it was because of church or not. I, I'm going to tell myself it's because of church. But they got up on their own this morning. One of them got up at like 6, 10 in the morning. She's like, I want some breakfast, you know. And, and, uh, and I'm like, well, the, the sun's not up. Give me a few minutes, you know. And she's like, she's like why, why is it dark out? And it's like, because it's 6, 10 in the morning, girl. Like, you got to sleep in a little bit. But they're excited to come to church. Make church non-negotiable in your family. Make church non-negotiable. Number three, show how seeking and serving God is fun. Show how seeking and serving God is fun. See, seeking and serving God isn't a burden. Seeking and serving God should be something that we enjoy doing. It should be enjoyable for us to, to pray. It should be something that we want to do. It should be something we want to read God's Word. We, we want to pray. We want, we want to be in relationship with God. It should be something that's fun. See, quiet times are a part of our culture in our, in our home already. Now, now, my kids aren't doing them yet, but, but they probably will soon. I don't know. We'll see how they, how they observe and, and repeat, because kids will repeat your behavior, right? So I'm not going to tell my kids you have to get up and do a quiet time every morning. But there are many mornings where my kids get up, and Amber and I are already awake, and, and there's a Bible out, and we've already been drinking some coffee and, and reading the Word. All through the summer, we have this patio furniture thing out in the backyard, and, and every morning, Amber and I would be out there on the patio, many times with the Bible open and reading scripture and praying. And so there's a culture thing inside of my home that we've been cultivating and developing. 
Listen, we're trying to show my kids that seeking God is fun. If you show your kids that you are seeking after God and that you are hungering and thirsting after Him, after the creator of the universe, your kids will follow. Your kids will, will see it. There may be seasons where they reject it, but there are seasons where they'll come back. So to create a hunger for God, involve God in your daily decisions, make church non-negotiable, and show how seeking and serving God is fun. Listen, you don't have to tell your kids to be good if you're following the one who is good. It seems unattainable sometimes. It seems out of reach. Do you know, I, I, I look at this passage in Joshua. Joshua is one of my favorite Bible characters. And he says in, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, it says, Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So church, I tell you, choose this day. Choose today whom you're going to serve. Choose today, who, what are you going to hunger and thirst after? Choose today, what's your time and energy going into? Choose today, choose this day, whom you will serve. Because for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. We're not a Christian family. We're a Christ-centered family. You might be here this morning, and you've never made a decision to follow Christ. Maybe you've been coming to church and hanging around, kicking tires and smelling it, seeing what's going on here. You might be in a place where you're saying, you know what, I, I know that God has been pulling on my heart to make a decision to follow Christ, but I have not done it yet. Maybe you've been in a place where I've, I've, I've seen God from a distance, but I want to see him personally. And that's where you're at today. We have prayer teams that want to pray with you and help you to receive Christ today, help you to accept him into your heart today. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I have been putting God in the garage, not in the kitchen. I have been saying I'm a Christian home, but I have not made it him a Christ, myself a Christ-centered home or Christ-centered family. Today can be the day that you choose. Today can be the day that you choose. You bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for for your son. God, we just thank you for the opportunity to be able to hunger and seek after righteousness. God, we thank you that because of the work that you did on the cross, we can now be in relationship with you. God, I ask this morning, as a church, God, you would help us to be Christ-centered homes, not just Christian homes. God, help us to, to put you into everything that we do. Help us to have a family that is rooted and grounded in faith in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We're going to sing one more song, but God bless you. Have a wonderful week.